zoo veterinarians, the, you know, the regular veterinarians. There are just so many people out there who would love to help you reframe what you've seen into what it means in a professional's eyes. And remember that there, you know, it is important that you have that empathy and never lose that empathy, but use your empathy to help professionals achieve that animal welfare standard, not take it away. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet, and I'd like to welcome you to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject, animals. Well, it's currently the legislative season, and as always, there are a host of bills and pieces of legislation being introduced that at face value would appear to help animals. We're going to take a deeper dive today into some of these bills and actually see what they're all about, their intention, and also where they're coming from. You might be interested to know that one of the tactics of the animal rights groups is to create legislation even in places where that activity might not take place. They're just trying to set a precedent to say that this bill or that bill passed in this municipality. My guest today is Vanessa Gagne. She's a legislative consultant and works on behalf of several animal-related associations compiling all the legislative information so the groups can decide what pieces of legislation to address, where to put their call to actions out and such. Vanessa is very knowledgeable and has worked in the animal industry and intimately understands these issues. Vanessa, welcome to the podcast. Hi Heidi, thanks for having me on. Enjoyed meeting you. I've certainly known about you for years, but I enjoyed meeting you at the NIA National Animal Interest Alliance conference last year and catching up. I'd like you to tell our listeners your background and what it is you do. So I actually started um, as a zookeeper and moved to elephant conservation. And then whenever I had my kids, I kind of backed away from everything to be a full-time mom and still worked in elephant conservation a little bit and have had the, uh, I am very blessed to have been able to still work with elephants hands-on with some private owners and get a little bit more experience under my belt there. And now I work in um, legislative tracking for animal welfare issues and help certain organizations that are more animal welfare based across the United States, you know, fight some radical animal extreme extremist bills. And yes, and that's where I have been in touch with you. And um, the interesting thing about that, and I say this on the podcast often, you refer to them as radical animal extremists. That's great. But I think it, it's important to note that these are actually animal rights groups, the mainstream animal rights groups yes. that you're referring to, correct? Yeah. And give me an idea of like who who those groups are. What groups do you see coming forth? We're, we're going to talk about legislation today. So what what groups are coming forward on the legislative front? Definitely, when it comes to exotic animals, it's PETA, Humane Society of the United States, World Animal Protection, um, Animal Welfare Institute is another big one. And I've seen testimony from um, 
it's another one of those animal ones. It's like animal friends or something like that. There's there's quite a few. Right. And there is a, I will share it again on my um, show notes, but there is a wonderful, the Animal Network web, yeah. right? That we all have worked off of and has been updated um, as we go along. So with that in mind... Um, why don't you tell me what type of legislation, let's start federally, because I think you're doing federal and state and... Yes. Okay. So what are we, what kind of stuff is out there federally that you have alerted associations to? Right now, it's just the beginning of the next session, which will end in 2025, um, or like the beginning of January, you know, January 2025. So there hasn't been a lot filed. So once the Big Cat Public Safety Act was actually signed into law by President Biden, they got a lot of confidence. So I definitely look for the reiteration of the TEEPSPA, the Traveling Exotic Animal, you know, the Protection Act there to end all exotic animals and performances. And probably the Primate, the Primate Act will come back Um and then it'll just continue to whittle away incrementally from there. But I have I have not seen those be in, reintroduced yet. In fact, even it took them a while to introduce it during the pandemic too. So they might be trying to find a co-sponsor or a sponsor or an author that will foot the bill and get it into the house. Do you see, you know, I guess I'd say politics aside, but my question is going to be, do you see in a uh, politically, is there a is there a difference in the type of bills we're seeing introduced, depending on the uh, politics of it, the the parties? Uh, there was a pretty stark difference for a while there. Um, you can still see some pretty, uh, like the blue states have their certain bills and the red states have their certain bills, but the waters are beginning to become more muddied. There are a lot more red states and conservative people picking up these animal rights bills and carrying them. So that 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 is definitely starting to change since probably the 2016 election. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, yeah. So there, it, it's not quite so uh, black and white or blue and red. Uh, it, not you know. anymore. No. Okay. Especially uh, HSUS, you know, has their famous scorecard that they send out uh, that grades all the senators and all the house representatives on what they deem to be animal friendly yeah. legislators. Um, and, you know, you can see that's, that's starting to kind of change there in their eyes. Okay. Yeah. And HSUS again, Humane Society of the United States who have such credibility because the, the name sounds great and so many people are familiar with their humane societies locally, which do operate shelters and stuff. They are mm -hmm. a 501c3 nonprofit uh, that does not operate shelters, at least last I heard. Not to my knowledge. I know they do try and do, you know, they, they took in all those beagle confiscations, uh, those 4,000 beagles that were taken from the research breeder. Yeah. That's and that so, is a whole nother story that my podcast yeah. is all about. There's more to the story and uh, 
Cindy, Dr. Cindy Buckmaster from the National Animal Interest Alliance. She's their advocacy person, I believe, and has a podcast called Get Real that I share often and really did a nice piece on that. And there's just so much more to that story. Okay, so the Big Cat Safety Act, just to back up for a moment, it did pass. What is the, you know, at at, yep. at first glance, most people would say, why wouldn't that pass that? That seems logical and good. And what is what is the the folks represent, and what are what are they bothered about with that at the Big Cat Safety Act? If you can talk about that. Um, well, first of all, you know it's it's ending the exhibition of big cats. Nobody's really doing it that much anymore. There's very very few people traveling with big cats, but you know, at its core, it's designed to completely remove those animals from our lives and leave them only in you know, certain accredited zoological associations, zoos, and stuff like that. And And sanctuaries, no doubt. Yes, and sanctuaries where they do not, you know, they don't perform, they don't do anything like that. So as you know, um, it is a part of circus culture to do that. And uh, it goes through the generations to have big cat trainers. Yeah. So that is that is being eliminated. Um, but even further than that, like the kernel that's kind of at the core of it is the erosion of the human-animal bond and removing these exotic animals that we know how to care for, not just you know from hands-on animal experience over generations, but also through using like zoo veterinary science and zoo veterinary yeah. research. Yeah. Um, all of that. <laughs> we have we really are living in an awesome time where we can marry those two subjects and get a really great result with yeah. training and and husbandry and perpetuation of highly endangered species like with Correct. some of the tigers and also the asian elephants and for those who yeah. aren't aware when those animals go to a sanctuary it's kind of like the the dog shelters there's no breeding so with dog shelters, that's a whole nother discussion. But when you're talking about uh, highly endangered um, animals subject to some federal laws that they shouldn't be allowed to take young breeding animals and just drop them in a black hole where they can't be utilized for breeding anymore. That's really distressing. Yes, especially the way that they are then turned around and used to garner yeah. donations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I, For those listening, my way of finding out who's legit and who's not, beyond asking someone like yourself and knowing the, a bit of the playing field, is if they're selling somebody out to get donations, they're, they're off the list in my book of credibility. Shame. Yeah. Yeah. It starts if right there. you have to discredit somebody in order to do that, that's... Yeah. It's one thing, you know, I know people who have taken in, you know, USDA confiscated animals. They've never said a word to me. I only know because, right. you know, it, it was information. It wasn't, look what we've done with this animal. It yeah. was, it is my job. It is my livelihood. It is my trade to care for this animal for the rest of its life. And that's what I'm doing. Oh, and I suppose I got it this way. Right. Right. Exactly. I And that's, you know, it's okay if you need to fundraise. Animals are expensive and God bless people who are taking care of them. 
But when you're actually just selling it out, and we've seen instances of that with um, cats, big cats, where they've said this oh, yes. is a poor abused circus cat. And I just saw it in Thailand, um, an elephant, a totally broken oh, down elephant. I think you, I'm sure you saw the same picture. And they yeah. just put in the caption that this is what rides do. There's no yeah. evidence to me of any yeah. kind. And I've ridden elephants my entire life. And I've talked to the experts. And I know you even more for yourself who've actually seen these elephants in range countries and such, that that's there's more to that story. And 100%. And it's get it garners such attention on social media. It's so distressing. Um, it's, it's it is distressing. And it's, it's funny, because, you know, you talk about it being distressing. It's distressing for people who have no idea what they're looking at, they immediately have a shock and awe. Yeah. But then it's also distressing for people like us, because we're looking at that. And we're like, this is just utter nonsense, right? There is there is no how to in the country of Thailand that seats six, they are all two by, you know, they seat two people. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. The, yes, they, they are by design, two seaters. Okay. Um, also, some of the top veterinarians in Thailand have come out and made public posts and said, this is utter nonsense. We, th there is no way that I how to made this injury. There is no way that even rides made this injury. Yeah, I totally you know? agree. Yeah. Um, that to me, if it's a cow and she's had the in in injury for a long time, maybe it was an aggressive bull during mating. Maybe yeah. It was another cow. That is, that is a fighting injury and, and just a guess, but it's not a how to. Yeah, I, I agreed. And I, I was going to share it and make comments about it. And I just decided not to, cause they're just, it's just going to create this firestorm online. And I'm, so I choose to do it on the podcast. So really sure. important information. I'm talking today with Vanessa Gagne, and she actually compiles legislation for various associations so that it can be addressed and we can get folks out to come and, and uh, talk about it, educate legislators and attend meetings and testify. Yes. And it's several of the associations that deal with responsible animal owners and uh, all of them I've had on the podcast. I think U.S. ARC, National Animal Interest Alliance, uh, International Association Affairs and Expositions. You're kind of the go-to girl for kind of compiling this and helping with the grassroots uh, advocacy. And also you have a great background with animals. It's just, it's so important to me that we tell these stories. So I want you, I want to move on from here and talk about what other types of legislation that you're alerting these associations to that's out there. This is the legislative season. We're, we're uh, recording this yes. in March. So back to the exotic animal bans, those are being introduced statewide and they're almost carbon copies of the TEEPSPA language that the federal TEEPSPA language. What is um, TEEPSPA? Tell me what TEEPSPA is. The, TEEPS, the TEEPSPA is the Traveling Exotic Animal uh, Protection and Safety Act. So um, targeting so, targeting uh, animal shows. Circus animals. Yeah. Yep. They, they, yeah. they say that they say this is just to end animals performing animals in circuses. But then they list animals on there like penguins and sharks. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because yeah, because we know there are so many circuses traveling with penguins and sharks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 
obvious that there's an incremental agenda there to erode these animals away from outreach programs also, which is what they're trying to say that they're hiding behind, but they're also obfuscating their position by choosing certain language when they write these bills. For example, listing everything by their Latin name. So when a legislator reads it, they're like, oh, obviously an animal professional put this together and not thinking to themselves that ALDF lawyers wrote it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so what else? Give me an idea what else we got on uh, on the front. So they're trying to put uh, traveling animals with circuses out of business. And I did see. Yep. U.S. Ark, um, and many of these associations do, he he wrote that, you know, define exotic, and he they felt that the, the d- definition of exotic animal, as you just alluded to, was all over the place. So, yeah. you know, there's that. And what else are we, are you dealing with pet store bans? Is that something that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Explain um, what that NAIA. is. Sure. So there's been... Um, some really good marketing campaigns for the last 20 years, uh, disparaging commercial breeders and calling them puppy mills. Um, and almost exactly like we see with the circus stuff where they show these burdened animals and chains. It's like, okay, well you got that picture picture from Sri Lanka. That's not Ringling. Um, that same thing is happening with the supposed, I use the term, quote, puppy mills. That is not our term. That is their term. Yeah. Yeah. It's a term I um, hate. <laughs> yes. I can't stand that term either. Yeah. Um, Jackie Kinsler, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying it for the podcast. Yeah. Um, but they take pictures from Korea, China, Ukraine, where there are these really large, unregulated um, breeding facilities. And then they're saying that that's what's happening in the middle of Missouri and Arkansas and Ohio or whatever. So they're using that marketing campaign to um, slander all breeders. Yeah. And in turn, everyone has this adopt, don't shop. And they want to take all these animals from shelters and rescues. While I would never um, say that shelters and rescues don't have a place and are not you know, they are very important. There are animals that do need help. There are animals in our backyard that need help. Yes. That is a totally separate issue. Yeah. People, you know, so taking away well-regulated, guaranteed dogs with a guaranteed health history and uh, demeanor and disposition um, to replace them with shelter dogs and forcing that on the consumer is quite, uh, it's asking a lot for Americans. I think I contend it's dangerous because I've been to my shelter and my sisters occasionally check out their shelters in different parts of the country. And I say this, I have another podcast about dog training and dogs called Dog on Good Information. And I say that on that podcast as well. And, you know, that they're bully crosses and, you know, pit bulls, bully crosses, and, you know, we won't even get into breed-specific uh, legislation right now, but those animals don't belong in every home. I'm an animal trainer, and I will stand by that comment. It is not the do- animal's fault, ever. My father preached that. But that doesn't make it not a dilemma that has to be dealt with. And yes. more and more dog trainers are finally coming out, responsible dog trainers, and saying, 
you know, you're it's it's irresponsible just to dress them up and say they're cute and they they just need love and affection and they'll come along fine. They're you know, they're it's a different type of animal. It doesn't belong in every home, and that's again a whole nother subject. But we're vilifying the people who actually provide the guarantee, who provide the background on the animal, and who provide, you know, the kind of pets that you you see more in a family home. I tell people as a dog trainer, I tell people if you have young children in your home, you're already busy. I've I've had young children. So you already have a busy household. If you in fact have looked at it all, the budget, everything and decided to get a pet, raise a puppy with your family. I believe in that. And I think that's the right way to go about things. So here's my problem with the pet store ban as well. The American Veterinary Medical Association, the Center mm-hmm. for Disease Control, and well, the American Veterinary Medical Association and the the is it called Pet Advocacy Network now? PJAC. Yeah, Pam. Uh, yeah, Pam. Yeah. They have come out now. These are these are professionals, right? We're talking about the veterinarians, and we're talking about the pet food, the large pet food, uh, food suppliers. Uh, all, all things animal related that you would purchase or need for supplies, they both they have a petition on their website to say this is wrong, right? I, I just found it yeah. yesterday. And the vets, they're saying this is wrong. Yet we have all these animal rights group go to the legislators and tell them this needs to be done. And last count, we had five states in the United States and over 700 municipalities that have passed these bans. And... I believe we have a lot of states looking at it right now, correct? Yes. Um, Illinois, Connecticut, New York passed already, so just last fall. So New York's already... Yeah, statewide. Uh, Texas, Florida, um, Oregon, Washington. Um, The other thing that I think is a huge piece of the puzzle and is going unrecognized and... Of course, their side is not going to come out and explain this. And that is the importation of dogs from other countries and other parts of the country. Yes, and that's the CDC component I was just talking about. Yeah, so go ahead. How many countries are on that list? 100? 113 countries are banned. Yes. At least until July, they extended the ban because of rabies and falsified rabies certificates from basically the PM word in other countries who are now finding the Americans a great place to breed puppies over there without regulations, send them over too young. And then we get rabies that we haven't really dealt with in that way and evidence of parvo and distemper and other disease. They were sending things that have already been eradicated. Exactly. They were sending them too young as well. So now the age is minimum six months. And I know Patty Strand at the National Animal Interest Alliance has been has been putting this out there, the Healthy Dog Importation Act, um, yep. to go along with the CDC's ban. And it's good legislation. It makes sense. It's not vilifying anybody. That's who no. we are. We're not vilifying people. We're just saying there's a lot more to this story. And when the, your own government is saying we have to ban the importation of these pets, and then turning around statewide and municipalities and saying, we got to ban pet stores. We don't know where the animals come from. The only ones that we don't know where the animals come from are the shelters. Yes. And that's really disturbing. 
one of the things that we've found too is that out of all the municipalities that have passed this pet store ban, only 23% of them even had a pet store selling dogs to begin with. Yeah. So it's almost like this, this join us or die kind of everybody should just do what we're doing to be cool. Yeah. Instead of actually addressing any animal welfare issues. And that's something you can find time and time and time again. For example, we were fighting the exotic animal bill in Connecticut a couple of weeks ago, and it all it has is an animal ban list. It says we want to end cruelty in circuses. These are the animals we want to ban coming into the state of Connecticut to perform. There is never a mention of caging requirements, personnel training, how many hours a handler had to have experience in order to work with the animal, transportation requirements, yeah. you know, trailer size, how long they have to be in a trailer. All of that was completely absent from the language of the bill. Yeah. If this was truly meant to address animal welfare of performing and traveling animals, where is a veterinary draft language that works with an exotic animal vet and zookeepers and circus handlers used in conjunction to make this language very clear and very concise for any licensee to adhere to. Yeah. That should tell you from the beginning that it is agenda driven and it is not meant to protect any animals. And the reason I bring that up is because of what you just said before with, with the pet store ban, if this was about animal welfare, you would implement things like you can only source your dogs from a breeder or commercial breeder with, zero right. animal welfare um, violations in the last five or 10 years, or you can make it as strict as you want when it comes to those kind of regulations. Um, and so you can see that this is ideologically based and not hands-on based. It's very easy to tell that these people have never worked a day with animals in their lives. And if they have, it's been, um, I don't mean to insult them. I mean it in a sense of somebody who's done the work is going to have a very different way of approaching this and writing it down. Yeah, absolutely. That's really well said. I say all the time, this is not coming from those who've seen or those who work in, in animal fields, right? Um, yep. On my podcast has interviewed the New York carriage horses, the Iditarod race, medical research, um, Dr. Dr. Dennis Schmidt and Dr. Ted Friend on the elephant front mm -hmm. and I know that's also your wheelhouse. The vets, you know, the zoos, the, they, there's a collaboration between the traveling exhibitors and the zoos and, you know, wonderful information that's shared. But yet the John Q. public, who's not an animal person, buys into what the animal rights groups are putting out there. Make no mistake, they are not animal experts. They are experts at spinning yeah. a narrative uh, creating and fundraising, right? They should be, they're yeah. marketing experts. And right here in uh, Florida in Manatee County just overturned their pet store ban. Yes, and, I saw that. Yeah, so I um, actually plan to talk to my folks here in Pinellas, the commissioners, uh, to at least provide the information. And I will have on my doggone good podcast, one of the pet store owners who owns a few of the pet stores in their family, generational. And again, yeah, provide, not that we like that because they already are licensed and regulated. You'll I see that in the yeah. comments all the time. Why doesn't somebody regulate them? That's disgusting. That's horrible. Um, they are. They already are. And they have to sort provide the source of their dogs. You get the background on the dogs, all of that. 
And if you don't want to go to a pet store, that's fine. But don't yeah. tell me or legislate the rest of us out of our choice. We still live in yeah. the United States of America. And I feel completely comfortable that there are regulations in place. And I am a big advocate, as I know you are too. If there is something untoward going on, there are plenty of laws out there to handle animal abuse or people who cross the line. And I'm yeah. happy for people, those to be utilized. People pay that penalty, uh, whatever that is. But it's no different than any industry whether you're a waitress, a lawyer, a doctor, you know, name anything. We're not going to take the least of those, the the worst of that group, highlight it and say, I don't care what they're telling you. They're all like this. And that's exactly what this is all about, in my opinion. Yes. And it's, 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 it is. And it's also um, at its core, um, you know, you strip away all the layers of the sad ads and the, the ugly pictures and, you know, these supposed, you know, firsthand accounts, I witnessed this and whatever. You get down to the nitty gritty of it and it is, you know, right on PETA's homepage. We do not believe that an animal should be used by humans for anything. That's right. Not entertainment. They don't deserve our emotional burden of being our pets. They don't, we should never be use them for anything. And that ignores basic anthropological science. And that is, we would not be here today had we not domesticated animals. We would not have had a civilization. We would not have had an economy during Babylon and Egypt and all these other major civilizations if it weren't for animals. We are here today because of animals. Period. Yeah. And some of us believe and want to continue to celebrate that yes. bond. Those of us who worked around animals, what my children have gotten out of it, what I've gotten out of it, and the 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 lessons it's taught me, and understanding that the animals always come first. I'm a third generation trainer, and I feel completely privileged to have spent my life around animals, and I I am so um, proud of the people I work with and work around and you know with like yourself i just i so enjoy conversing with you and hearing from you you're such a bright young woman and thank you you just care so much about this and we have to put our passion out there because the other side is completely dealing on emotion our emotion comes from actually recognizing that we're taking animals out of our life. I want people to see and touch elephants. It's mm -hmm. magnificent. Well, we still can. Yes. Yeah. And our children and grandchildren, you know? Yes. I know you have I, young, I, young girls and um, I'm sure you can't even imagine the experiences you've had that they can't have. Um, you know, we're phasing out elephants here in the United States. Um, we don't have a whole lot left, somewhere around 200. That's Asian and African combined. Um, we do have some remarkable breeding programs, though. Um, those are all in zoos that are protected contact and don't allow for any outside human contact at all. So keep keeping that alive in the circus and letting kids smell them, touch them, stand next to them and see how big they are. You know, even when you're on the ride platform to get onto an elephant, you're like, whoa, I'm really high up here just to get on this saddle. Um, I really hope that we can continue that. Um, 
you know, at least for as long as, as we have the herds that we have. Yeah, to see these magnificent animals is to care about them. And I, that's a statistic that I've heard over and over again. And, you know, computer-generated CGI and the Discovery Channel or such aren't going aren't gonna to suffice, aren't going to pick up no. and keep these animals alive. And this legislation is just so dangerous. Can you just speak to that again on how that's people think it's a good thing and it's actually the opposite. You know, it's the old adage, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't think there's anything wrong with people being concerned about animal welfare. I don't think there's anything wrong with them wanting to hold everyone to a certain standard. And especially in our industry, Heidi, you know, we're pretty, we're one of the last um, industries, carnival and circus, where uh, meritocracy is not dead, and if you don't have a good operation, you will not be hired. And that that spillover um, is extremely important to address. Um, and that being said, <clears throat> the legislation is ignoring the animal welfare part for the animal rights part. And there is such a clear distinction between animal welfare and animal rights. Animal welfare, which we know, you know, clean water, clean housing, good training, um, all the medical care that's possible, and, you know, contentment for that animal for the duration of its life. Also, and then there's the animal rights, which is these animals are, you know, should be allowed to vote and make choices about their own life. And that that is just simply, it is not applicable to reality. Nor is it what I think that someone listening who cares about animals and like you and I stand right with us and want animals to be cared for. That's, they don't realize that that's a reality. I understand there's a guardian ad litem now, since they weren't successful in getting habeas corpus, human rights for animals on a couple of, uh, high-profile cases. I understand now there's a guardian ad litem uh, like legislation floating around. I don't know if this is state or municipal, but do you deal with any of that? I I have seen some of the bills cross, especially in Florida, actually, and oh, New boy. York. They've had <laughs> some, uh, you know, this lawyer should stand in place of this animal and speak for it kind of things. And they're actually approaching it in an interesting way. Um, they're trying to, to get their foot in the door by using dog abuse. Like if you have to rescue this dog from horrendous conditions and you know it was beaten and all these other awful things, then you have this courtroom appointed attorney that speaks on behalf of the dog. Right. Um, and so that's kind of where they're trying to set the legal precedent for this. But I haven't really seen it. And the, I know, uh, I can't remember, I was talking to one of the head of the, one of the animal associations, and the concern was, again, at face value, having a, a spokesperson for an animal, you know, that that's okay. The challenge is, we're legislating this, and it's like we see with other areas, the animal rights community are happy to be in there and be the ones to come in and say in front of a judge, that these animals need to be taken away. This is just terrific. Correct. When they're not animal people, they're not experts, and it's easy to find lawyers now on animal rights law. So that, I think, is the scary part of that one for sure, right? 
we're going to... Yeah, there's a lot of law schools are adopting adopting that into their curriculum. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite scary. Well, there's a lot of positive stuff going on with animals, a lot of dedicated professionals trying to mm-hmm. perpetuate species and take care of animals and create uh, best practices and updates, you know, take those updates, science, technology, and merge them with generational best practices and really have a fantastic animal husbandry program. And so it's important to me to tell these stories because I know that to be true. So Vanessa, I'm going to wrap it up here and I want to give you, I want to give you the last word in what, what can people do? So one, where could they find more information about the stuff we've touched on? And then what can they do? to to uh, really care about animals and in in a truthful way in a sincere way sure um you know if you're coming from a place of you know not really a lot of animal experience and you know you haven't been working with animals for a long time my suggestion is to always turn to the experts that have hands-on animal experience and are either actively working with animals or have actively worked with animals in the past. And those organizations are full of so many resources like the National Animal Interest Alliance, even AKC, US ARC, the reptile folks. They are incredible in their knowledge of reptiles and breeding and conservation of reptiles. If I forget anybody, please forgive me. But there are and even ZAA, the Zoological Association of America, yes. the um, Association of Zookeepers. There's so many. Protect the Harvest. Up. Yeah, Protect the Harvest is awesome. Is there um, a Marine Mammal Alliance or it's called something else now? Yes, and there's a mammal trainer one too, the Marine Mammal Trainers. Right, the, okay. The zoo veterinarians, the, you know, the regular veterinarians. There are just so many people out there who would love to help you reframe what you've seen into what it means in a professional's eyes and remember that there you know it is important that you have that empathy and never lose that empathy but use your empathy to help professionals achieve that animal welfare standard not take it away well said vanessa we'll have to do this again sadly there's no shortage of topics and legislation and issues but Very well said. Check out the professionals, not just the sanctuaries and the animal rights groups and get get the other side of the story. So thank you so much. I look forward to chatting with you again. Thank you. What a great conversation with Vanessa. I appreciate her so much and the hard work she does compiling all these various pieces of legislation and potential bills and alerts to provide to the animal associations and individuals like myself. As I say in every podcast, and she said as well, please go see for yourself. There's so many opportunities to talk with people who truly love, care for, and work with animals, and at least get the other side of the story. I thank you so much for listening. It's so important for me to tell these stories. Please subscribe share the podcast, and rate and review it. I would greatly appreciate it. I hope you'll join me next time for more Animal Tales.